0: Hello everybody it is John Pollock and Wei Ting we're doing a special bonus show today of course it's been a very tragic week in the industry of professional wrestling Uh, we were talking on Wednesday about the passing of the legendary Terry Funk and today we are back to talk about the very untimely death of Wyndham Rotunda better known as Bray Wyatt Um, stunning news for everybody on Thursday we had known that he had uh been off WWE programming uh, since February and had been kept relatively quiet about what he was dealing with. And it was Sean Ross Sapp that reported the news that he suffered a heart attack on Thursday and had been battling uh, heart issues that came as a result of, uh, of COVID um, that he had been off television since. Um, as you recall, back in February, he was already starting his WrestleMania program with Bobby Lashley. And then there was confusion over whether that, program would continue or not it did not and the latest we had heard on the status of Wyndham Rotunda was a comment by his father Mike Rotunda to Bill After over SummerSlam weekend that at least provided some optimism that he would hopefully be returning soon and it just seemed to be a question of, of when not if he would be returning and obviously nothing that is going to prepare you for the type of news that we received, uh, late Thursday afternoon, early Thursday evening. It's a very difficult story to process way, but I mean, um, you know, you've had some time to, I guess, uh, digest the news. Obviously everybody is in mourning over just a very tragic story. And I mean, this is a 36 year old father of four and that's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. A hundred
1: percent. um, um, so again, like anytime one of these tragedies happens in professional wrestling, um, I, it's 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 strange because like on the one hand, um, it's it's awful. On the other hand, it's like we I feel like as a community we, we we we've gone through these things, um, especially like if you're a longtime fan, um, but it it still it doesn't really diminish, I guess, like how
0: I think it is different now, way because with the just the propensity of the, the immediacy to interact with people. I mean, when I look back at like even though you had various social media that existed, it wasn't to this extent like where we were going through like in the late nineties or through the two thousands where there is such so much more of like a public forum that people can openly mourn these individuals and you just see like how um significant it is when you see like the industry kind of stops when one of these stories occurs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's 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 awful every single time. Um and I just in, in a case like this, when it's when it's shocking, when it's when it's um, you know, completely um I guess We none of us really had any warning or any uh, expectation of of something like this happening. Um, It's it's really hard to process. And sorry if this is not the smoothest audio, but it's still really hard for me to process it right now. Um, I think beyond just even you know, thinking about his creative contributions, uh, it's it's just the knowledge that you know he'll never be able to see his children again, and his children will never be able to see him, and his fiancé will never be able to see him and his father his his siblings you know um that's that's immediately now what I start to think about
0: yeah i mean this was somebody that was you know we were making like the comparison to like a terry funk that was born into this industry uh, his his father, his grandfather, uh, you had his uh, brother, uh, his uncles, Barry Windham, Kendall Windham. I mean, this was a wrestling family and one that, I mean, this, this individual, I mean, he, he sought out like a, you know, he was a very good athlete in high school and college doing uh, football. He also did, uh, he was a state champion in, in wrestling in high school as well. And then, you know, he, he redshirted in university. He went to, he went to two different schools and then was on a team at Troy university. And at the end of the 2008 season, that's when he gave his notice and he just went full, full bore into professional wrestling. And I think that's where like you, you look at him as a relatively like newer character. But when you think about the fact that here was someone that's been in the WWE system for 14 plus years, um, like, and this, Like, to me, part of the just writing all about him uh, last night and this morning is, like, the story of Wyndham Rotunda, in terms of the pro wrestling side of him, it's one of constant struggle. Like, this was not someone that just had this smooth ride to the top. He had multiple highs, multiple lows. There was division among the character itself, and it just seemed always trying to find this... Um, this perfect balance that was going to ultimately click and become this, this big main event level uh, character for, for the company. And he went through so many uh, iterations of the Bray Wyatt character. You go back to when he was Husky Harris as part of the NXT and just going under Duke rotunda in Florida championship wrestling. Like he went through so many different versions. And that to me is part of the story of this guy who, was i think extremely creatively gifted i think you can take that away from just his work from the outside looking in and from those uh, that worked with him but also being able to get that extreme creativity out in a system that sometimes like is more regimented and like that's a huge part of bray wyatt to me is looking at this guy that was constantly retooling this character and you know, one of those highs was that return last year when he became like they had that great campaign behind his return and then coming in. And he was a difference maker on television for those those first couple of weeks. Like you saw attendance go up. You saw television numbers go up. It was and you watch that first return uh, speech that he gave in New Orleans right after his return at Extreme Rules. I mean, it's chilling to listen to it today um, as I did. Um but but then you know you go into um the character itself and it was kind of the supernatural elements that some loved some hated and it was always trying to strike uh that balance and it seemed to be you know constant retooling and trying and trying to find the the magic formula
1: yeah absolutely um Maybe just even taking it back to, you know, the very beginning, or at least, you know, the his on screen beginning from when he kinda came on our my radar at least. You know, that that season of NXT where um it was like the contest and he came out with a terrible name, Husky Harris. And you know, just I mean Mike Rotunda's son, that was really the guy's identity at that point. Um, you know, a bit of a heavy... remember who his pro was? No. Who?
0: Cody Rhodes. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. There you go. So, you know, they they, they, they did the new Nexus with with him in it and and Michael McGillicuddy. And I don't even know if I heard the guy cut a promo once.
0: I don't know how often I would have even heard him
1: talk at all. So
0: made no I mean he was as close to a spirit squad type of write-off at at the end of that like in the Nexus like Randy Orton punted him all the way back to Florida Championship Wrestling like it Uh was you know he was brought up to the main roster and it was only several months with the the new Nexus and boom he's gone and it was the thought of like will we see this guy again and it took him some time it was like a year later that he crafts the the Bray Wyatt character and that the Bray Wyatt character to me is very synonymous with the advent of NXT. Like here is a repackaged individual that had a, a short but failed run on the main roster. And here is something that those introductory vignettes on NXT television, like that was legitimate buzz that people got. Like these are very different from your typical WWE videos with like the, the, the inspiration from Cape fear that this was a, and I think the fact that you had this contrast, like many people, their last image of him was Husky Harris. And now a, a transformation that drew people in and seeing the NXT version and then moving it up to the main roster. And, and that had its its growing pains.
1: Yeah. I mean, to call it a makeover, I think would be um, a big understatement. If anything, it was I mean, it felt like, you know, like um, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And, and being this full, complete expression of a character that clearly existed within this man's mind this entire time, but was just like dying to break out. And you see this like incredibly fully formed thing that, you know, we're talking about developmental here. You know, we're talking about guys that um probably for the most part haven't had that much experience, you know, of cutting promos. This felt like a character that was already fully fleshed out, deeper than most of what you would see on on the main roster. And um, the the vignettes, of course, you know, the production behind them was uh, very very strong. The, um, the the
0: look and the it's style, like, like of the handheld, promo. like very simple, basic, and that was like such a contrast at the time.
1: And and I have no doubt, like yeah, he probably worked with some very talented people to help execute it. But I have no doubt a lot of that, the 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 aesthetic sort of like identity around everything between the, the 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 way he dressed, of course, the way he spoke, but also the way those things looked. I feel I'm sure a lot of it might be credited to him. Just knowing how much of a creative mind this guy ended up being, um, I think you know maybe if he wasn't born, you know, the son of a wrestler, he might have become a, a great filmmaker or or create actor or or something else but you know wrestling was lucky enough to have a a very unique mind who was not afraid to to take risks
0: yeah and that's what this was like there was no guarantee that this was going to find its audience and and it struggled like that is like you can't hide from the fact like it was always um a struggle with this, this bray wyatt character but you also have to remember the time period when they're introducing the wyatt family it's not like uh Florida championship wrestling and the migration to NXT. It's not like it was the NXT of several years in the future where it became like the hot thing to watch. And they were coming up with all these, these they were signing up all the indie stars and coming up with these characters. Like it was, it was a pretty cookie cutter developmental. That was not all that inspiring when there was a big concern about what are our next, what's the next generation of talent going to be, Uh, coming out of this system that florida championship wrestling like for those that went through that system it was a far cry from what you see today and the fact that this is the wwe developmental system in florida that famously had no bathroom in it when they first started off uh, at that facility and then you start to have something like this that at least catches people's attention as something different and you know they spend their time in nxt and then are slowly brought up with wwe style vignettes in 2013 and they come up and there's you it was the first act i would say because the shield was not an act in nxt like they were all individuals that were put together i consider that like a wwe act of sort of your fcw parts but the wyatt act like that was to me the first major act that came from developmental in its form. It's not like we're calling them up and giving them all new characters. We were taking something that clicked on a small level and let's extrapolate it to a, to national television and and thus it came up and there was instant interest in in this group and seeing how they how they would fare and it was. It was hit and miss out of the gate. They had a, a program with Kane. Uh, they got involved with a uh, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. Like you could see, like they were designed to be, to be a top group, and they went.
1: I, yeah, I go think ahead. the vignettes were a hundred percent hit. You know, and I, I think I speak for almost all of us in, in, in saying that, like they they felt unanimously unanimously cool. Everything up until the entrance was cool, but it almost always seemed like a uh, the type of. Um, Maybe mm, depth of character that felt not that fitting for like the WWE product of the time, you know, which, which felt, um, I think a lot more, uh, reductive or at least maybe a lot more, um, simplistic. And when you bring anything like from a pre production element to, a live stage, it's going to be that much tougher to sell, especially when it's like a semi supernatural, you know, type of type of uh, character, like, like what you had
0: in in these three and going Um, from the DIY style of vignettes to like these were like, and, and listen, the, the vignettes, I agree. Like they, they worked well in terms of the introduction and there was a big buzz when they were introduced. But once you had the, the return, like a lot of, a lot of the strongest Bray Wyatt moments were, The lead up to something new when he came back in Toronto as the Fiend and ran through Finn Balor. And that was. Like this quick match, the entrance got over, the crowd was buzzing. When he returned last year at Extreme Rules, it was always like the introduction was very strong and you had the audience in large numbers uh, behind like alterations. And then it was sustaining that and growing it to the next level.
1: Certainly, I I would classify maybe one of his biggest strength as, you know, creative, but especially a creative from like a a pre-production standpoint. You know, or um where like he could use, you know, the the element of filmmaking to his advantage to present um his what's in his mind, you know, out, out to the to the to the audience. Um I think it's always been challenging, you know, trying to translate that what like you know that like what craziness might might exist there um into a live stage into like the production routines of a wwe setting which i'm sure is already chaotic enough trying to get any camera time with with uh, production and all that but to be able to put that or to be able to like fit it within a live professional wrestling match has always been a challenge um i think for the company to to translate
0: And that's why I thought that his pairing with Matt Hardy was really interesting, given those two that were these extremely creative individuals that both had had, whether it was in FCW or for Matt Hardy coming off the TNA run, a very hands on uh, approach to what their vision was and getting that vision as clearly across as they could and in a WWE setting like there's always going to be that negotiation you are not the final editor on your your creative ideas and that can be very stifling for people that are very hands on and also have a track record of successful ideas things that they have seen work and having that conviction but you are ultimately working under under an ultimate editor and and a team that you have to work with to get your creative visions across and sometimes those are going to be creative compromises and you that is the system of WWE is working within a system that hopefully you can you can squeeze out what your vision is in an entertaining way and that's a lot easier said than done
1: certainly yeah it's it's almost like you know the type of maybe um thinking or maybe type of creativity that might be better suited for like an independent production with a small crew rather than something that inevitably becomes so much bigger when you're talking about a multi-million dollar corporation and I don't know how much of that you know ultimately affected maybe the translation and maybe some of the you know like less than well received um things that ended up coming about like some of his really wild and crazy ideas but God like when that stuff hit it hit huge okay and uh, you know, like maybe just the, even going backwards or at least starting from the present and going backwards. You know, the, the, the White Rabbit campaign was remarkable and something that I don't think we've ever seen in professional wrestling up until this point that made incredible use and completely understood how a modern professional wrestling fan interacts with pro wrestling. Um, how an internet fan might interact with the product of professional wrestling. That seemed completely different from anything that you've seen on Dude, the other. That was It was super ambitious.
0: Show. Like if you had described this idea to me of how they were going to market this, I would not have been high on this in terms of, I just feel this would have been so complicated for people to follow. And it was the opposite like this. And, and we saw the result. Like this was not just a segment of your audience online that was getting into this. Like we saw re, like when they teased, there, there was a week in September that they were teasing the the return of Bray Wyatt and didn't outright state it, but it was very implied. And you saw a giant, it was like a 15% spike in viewership that week for, for SmackDown thinking he was coming with, I think it was like the, it was like 9.23 p.m. on 9.23, something like that. That was the clue. And it came and went and there was nothing, but man, there was this huge spike and you saw it like even in the quarters, like it was, that was Bray Wyatt that you attributed that to.
1: This, this was catering to, you know, an audience that I think, um, was, is of the similar type to like, look up, you know, Wonder uh, WandaVision Easter eggs, you know, look at every, looking at every object in the background trying to see what it, meaning the directors or the producers are trying to like put into it. And more often than not, I think, um, we were overthinking ourselves and and getting ahead of ourselves and but i sometimes it went the other way around where i think a bray wyatt especially through like maybe some of his very cryptic promos would lay the foundation to a lot of things that even went over like some of the you know nerdiest
0: uh fans heads and uh, you're my barometer if it if it it missed you then i don't know how much of an audience it was because yeah so this was very tailor-made i think for your tastes
1: oh very much so and, and i'm not the only one you know no. like he he became a cult sort of like you know not not just a character but a cult like um i think um popular ki- um influence for a lot of wrestling fans getting a lot of people maybe back into professional wrestling as a result because he was doing something so completely different um but that also told you like i think the type of creative mind that he was you know he was somebody who was always trying to think a step ahead or several steps ahead, you know, of, of what the audience was doing, of certainly not even paying attention to what the trends were in professional wrestling, what his peers were doing. He was doing something all completely onto his, himself. And um oftentimes, you know, again, a lot of things might have gotten lost in translation. Maybe we'll look back, you know, years from now and think how far ahead of, of his time the, the guy really was. I'm almost certain we will actually.
0: I think that that is certainly going to be where, where people look back at this. And that was... I think you described it well of someone who was kind of onto his own, but in order to like, you are creating this character that kind of defined its own rules and was very removed from the traditional way of presenting at least WWE in modern times. But ultimately this character had to fit into that system. And Mm -hmm. when we saw him as, you know, someone that got like, just remember this timeline, he introduces the fiend after weeks of vignettes at SummerSlam 2019. And by October, he's doing that Hell in a Cell match that was pretty panned with Seth Rollins. And then they put the title on him at the end of that month. So they went all in on The Fiend. And then it ends up being a title match that – or a title run that goes relatively quickly where he's beaten by Goldberg in minutes um, to set up Goldberg and Roman Reigns. But, like, that was sort of that – you know, you thrust this guy that gets over night one and suddenly he's the champion in like two months. And it was – I think it was a very difficult character to book in like a championship picture. And that what was a big struggle. And we saw the babyfaces, probably none, none more than Seth Rollins, that were um, damaged from, from that. And that became – it was sort of how do we take this character that has an appeal that was a huge merchandise seller like let's like it had its audience and there was reason more than enough reason to work this character into into your programming and make it work um but but it was also like this this weird push and pull that you had both um acclaim and friction with with your audience um mm-hmm. at different times and i think that's why the return last year Everyone gave it a fresh slate because, okay, this is this is the Paul Levesque presentation of Bray Wyatt. We saw kind of a Vince McMahon led uh, creative direction for Bray Wyatt, and I think that that also opened it up. Like, how is this in the eyes of a Paul Levesque? And and it certainly got off to a, a good start, and then you know, you had the, the pitch black match with, with LA Knight that was not as well received and it remained to be seen like what was going to uh, follow with the Lashley program and and beyond. Like, the, But he certainly, like for somebody that had this amount of ideas and thoughts, no matter how far out there they were, that is always someone I would want to have on my roster. Somebody that is overthinking rather than mm. underthinking and just kind of going through the motions. Like this was somebody that, Listen, your ideas are not always going to hit. Terry Funk is a perfect example of someone. He's regarded for being this wrestling genius, but by his own admission, he had plenty of failures. The key is you learn from your failures and you can identify them as such. And you're not just back against the wall defending every idea you have. Like that to me is how th- that's learning in its, its simplest form Mm mm-hmm it
1: it, it, you know uh, this entire thing is upsetting of course um but i i suppose if we're strictly talking about creativity right now in his career um it's it's a shame that we only got to see that one match as a a part of this run you know this and and it being the mountain mountain dew match i was very curious to see like what i don't think we fully can assess what this run this latest run was for him because um I mean, it was cut short, right? You know, I, I have no doubt, like, WrestleMania was going to be something that was very, very unique. Um, but what lessons will may, might they have, have learned, I guess, from other matches? To me, like, so um, I recently heard a quote from Paul Heyman talking about how Roman Reigns, you know, happened to be really excited when the idea of pandemic, sort of like Thunderdome wrestling came about because it allowed him the opportunity to try a different style of in-ring storytelling, you know, um, creating scenes is, is, I believe how um, Paul Heyman phrased it. And you get the sense that it, it Bray White had a very similar type of thinking, you know, wanting to apply what he saw maybe in film into the product of professional wrestling. Um, but it, I I'd, I'd say, if, unfortunately, like for the most part, um, especially when you got into the fiend character, uh, the landing wasn't necessarily stuck, and there was always a lot of friction in trying to present that horror movie villain in a in a wrestling context. And I was very curious to see in this current iteration, beyond the Mountain Dew Mountain Dew Pitch Black match, if they were able to to find that balance a little bit better. Um, but you know, we 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 won't know that answer unfortunately.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when you look at that, that return in 2022, he, the Royal Rumble, that's the only televised match he had. Everything else is dark matches and live events that, that he did. And it's only Mm -hmm. like a a small handful of matches, but I mean, there was a reason they got him onto that post holiday tour around Christmas time. Like this guy was, you could argue at his hottest when he came back last year. And they dragged it out for a long time on television of just uh, interviews and you were introducing the, uh, the, the, the eventual uncle howdy stuff as well, which uh, mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, it never got to the point of being revealed uh, to be Bo Dallas, but you would have figured that would have probably tied into the Lashley program in, in some form or fashion that that would have been um, attached um, as well, bought by all of it. So I, I also did want to ask you because I, I mean, you had a very, positive reaction to the firefly funhouse match this was at wrestlemania 36 the pandemic year well the first pandemic year uh with with john cena and that's one that i mean i watched it that night and i did not have like strong positive or or negative but it certainly did not hit me like it did you but i thought you had a a fantastic breakdown of it it certainly like opened my uh thinking on it to something that i'm sure i could go back and watch and appreciate in a different way but i mean this was again this was a perfect encapsulation to me of the fiend character like there was an audience for this and there was an audience this stuff did not hit at all and that was Mm -hmm. that was the bray wyatt character in many ways
1: yeah um i guess in professional wrestling you know there are maybe audiences that gravitate more towards the wrestling side and audiences that gravitate more towards the storytelling side and um you know, most would probably be a, a bit of a combination of both, but I'm I'm somebody who might be even more attached to the story side of things. And I certainly think like a Bray Wyatt as a creator was maybe more catering to the story side of things. And, you know, speaking about the pandemic, I mean, it gave them the opportunity or excuse to create something that seemed to be at least as close as we got to the full expression of the type of storytelling that Bray Wyatt And John Cena wanted to tell, you know, in in, in their minds without the shackles or limitations of having to present it to a live audience. And
0: this felt like a presentation that he was very much given the steering wheel. yeah
1: yeah and we got a masterpiece i consider this to be so like you know at the end of the year we uh, we were supposed to choose like our our greatest our our favorite cinematic match that year i don't even consider this a match you know um i consider this a segment but it's a masterpiece of a segment and it's a masterpiece of i think professional wrestling character mm, storytelling um the idea that you can take somebody who's become this iconic figure like a John Cena and just completely infiltrate, His insecurities. I mean, a guy who feels on the surface—I mean, every bit the Superman—but you know, the the character of the fiend was some. And the idea of the Firefly Funhouse. I mean, I always took it as like you know this concept that I guess exists in somebody's mind. And you got to see something that is very ambitious and really difficult to convey, especially to those audiences who prefer their wrestling to be a a lot more sports-like. But um, the idea of this creature infiltrating John Cena's mind and. Entering the deep recesses of it to find what's behind the bravado. What's behind the muscles. Why did he decide to, you know, get bulk up? Um, why was, why has he been so reluctant to turn heel? Um, I watched it and I was amazed. And I was not a fan of, of The Fiend really up until that point. So when this came about and I watched it, I was as skeptical as any other people. But once I understood the depth of what they were trying to get at, I maintain I think it's one of the greatest things certainly to come out of pandemic wrestling and I think it's one of the best things I've seen WWE ever produce.
0: Yeah, John Cena wrote on Friday devastated by the news of the passing of Wyndham Rotunda. My heart goes out to the entire Rotunda family Wyndham brought the best out of me in so many ways. I'm forever grateful for the moments we shared a sad day for all those he reached around the world rest in peace. And yeah, that was I would have loved as one of those kind of behind the scenes features. Like John Cena arrives at the performance center and a camera on him as this is pitched to him by Bray Wyatt, like describing, like, just is it just go with me, bring Mm -hmm. your bring your 2002 ruthless aggression trunks, uh, bring an NWO shirt and just just follow my lead. This is this is what I have in store.
1: Yeah, I I feel like I, there's some quote uh, like I've speaking about it in the past of, of of him like it sounded like yeah. he was responsible for a lot of the creative as well like I, and so I I wouldn't doubt that I mean the man is an actor he's a creative mind unto himself and um I I have to imagine this was you know a, a collective uh, brainchild of his but of course using like the very unique sort of like frame and structure of what the feed represents
0: yeah so. That's a it's a very interesting like uh, chapter during like the the beginning of the pandemic and that Wrestlemania, well, probably not being your your instant rewatch year of a Wrestlemania. It is interesting to see like what they made out of that that mania with with this on this was on night two, I believe, and then the first night with the with the Boneyard match that are probably going to be the uh, presentations that are remembered the most from um, that empty arena performance center Wrestlemania
1: yeah absolutely he says uh so this is a quote from a uh, comicbook.com i did a unique piece of programming called the, this is from CNN. i did a unique piece of programming called the Flyer Funhouse Fun Funhouse match which was a giant exercise in vulnerability i worked my ass off on that thing and i thank everyone who was involved because no one does it alone but it was my kind it was kind of my brainchild and my creation
0: okay well then he had a lot more uh in- input than um than thought of it like again it was something that was that was very very ballsy to to go out with like that is as ambitious as you get because you know that there is going to be a portion of your audience that is going to pan something like that but the your reassurance is that this will hit more than it than it will miss but i i applaud that kind of risk-taking like there's there's always going to be um that, that that balance that you try to strike and sometimes like again i will always lean towards people to take risks rather than go the safe route to just appease the most amount of people
1: and you know if if we are to maybe determine like a final on screen i believe like speaking appearance of his um it you might look at um the the press conference for, for the Rumble, as you know, Bray Wyatt's. I guess, you know, last time we heard him genuinely speak as himself. And it was a very interesting press conference because it was right after the pitchback match. He came out completely without any gimmick and spoke. Out of character, basically as an actor talking to, or at least a writer or a creator, you know, b- behind behind the scenes talking about the, the character. And he had a quote that was ba- basically very similar to what you just said, John. You know, why am I in professional wrestling if I'm not here to do something different that, that you know, than other people than than what came before me? Um so you have to 100% respect it because, yeah, it's at this point where I think he probably himself was like very you know aware of the criticism or maybe he completely turned a blind eye to it. Who knows? Um, but it didn't stop him from creating.
0: What are you expecting on SmackDown tonight? Do you expect that th- this is going to be just the full two hour like a, tri- a tribute show in the same way? Like I-, I couldn't imagine not doing a show that is like a full on complete two hour tribute it's it's hard
1: for me to imagine that as well i mean i think you'll get you know wrestling maybe you'll get some like you know uh, continued storytelling of whatever current program uh things you've got but i'm expecting like a full hour sort of thema- thematic like look back at, at the guy's career a very emotional 10 bell salute i'm positive um that will crush i'm sure all of us uh watching um but uh, yeah, like we're talking about an active performer, you know, somebody who was uh, very close to everybody on this current roster um, and not somebody removed. I mean, it, not since. I'm trying to think like Benoit Netty, you know, like have we when was the last time like we've we've had this sort of setting, you know,
0: I mean, the, the one like it's just the scary parallels to me are like with with, with John Huber. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This this feels so similar in the sense of like, here's someone that had been off television. It had been kept very quiet. And then boom, it hits you like a gut punch. Um, Like I remember that so vividly um, with uh, with with his passing at the end of uh, 2020. And and here we are probably in store for a a tribute show um, the next day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I imagine like the people that are in charge of putting it together are already working feverishly and w- through like gritted teeth and a ton of emotion to try to put this together. So, uh, Jake's asking if we can put uh, rewind a SmackDown for free tonight. Are are you cool with that? Sure. Yep. Yeah. So that'll be available for everybody right here at youtubecom slash post wrestling. I think we'll even put a call-in link if people want to call in and and get their thoughts in. Of course, on uh, Bray Wyatt as well. So we'll all watch it and we'll come back here and we'll talk about it together.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we're going to sign off at this point before we go, though um, you know, it, it's been a very tragic week and I don't want these ones to be um, forgotten either is um, beyond Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt also passing away this week was uh, Abe Jacobs, who was a, a wrestler out of New Zealand who had, you know, a very storied career um, over here in, in the U S and he was 95 years old. So he would be among um, like the oldest wrestlers at the time of his passing, or at least uh, former wrestlers, um, We'll have more on him as well as rich Landrum, who is a ring announcer uh, for mid Atlantic um, for, for a number of years um, passing away at the age of 77. So, I mean, names that maybe are not as uh, household names among the, the current wrestling audience, but uh, figures to be remembered uh, as well this week uh, among those that have uh, passed away. We do have a story up on the site about uh, Wyndham Rotunda. If you want to go check that out and I'm hoping um,
1: when you say when when John says story, I mean, he's really underplaying it. This looks to be and I have not read it yet just because I wanted to keep this conversation fresh, but um, incredibly comprehensive. And I know John was also in the middle of, of like studying basically for this Terry Funk obituary he's been trying to write Uh, in the in the meantime, somehow was able to write this. So I encourage everybody to go to postwrestling.com and read up a, a little on John's thoughts on the life of a Wyndham Rotunda.
0: Yes, um, I'm going to. um tackle the uh the, the terry funk story i i wanted to have it out uh, today i'm gonna do my best to have it out at at, at some point i there's so much i have on a uh, on terry funk so it, it will be out at at some point i can't promise today but that's my, my
1: take, john time. take your time like we you, i speak for everybody like you know you, you just take a break from it come back to it like you know you don't please
0: Well, we will have uh, our show tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern time, right after SmackDown. So it will be live here at uh, YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. Um, You can check that out and then uh, all of our other shows this week. Um, uh, But do go back. um, Watch your, like, Bray Wyatt promos, the the vignettes, the Firefly Funhouse. I mean, there's – it is one thing. It's like it's an unfortunate tragedy, but there is so much of these careers that you can go back and and visit – But more more importantly than any of the the career stuff, obviously, we're kind of coming at it from that angle because that's the most that we are uh, familiar with the individual. But this is somebody that has left behind um, parents, a brother and sister, um, a a girlfriend, uh, four children. I mean, it's... Um, that that's mm-hmm. the part that's like so heartbreaking. And if you go yeah. on his Instagram and see all the photos with his children, it r- really is. Um, that's the tragedy. That is the headline right there that a a father has passed away at 36.
1: Uh, Andy sent a couple super chats here. He says a devastating week in the world of wrestling gone too soon. Thoughts and prayers to all the loved ones. Thank you, John Way, for the retrospective. He also says at WrestleMania 30 the Wyatt plan- family was the closest coolest thing in the world and could have been the new NWO live in fear with the fireflies is an all-time entrance
0: yeah that was i mean we were at that show and that was the that, that was the year to me that like bray wyatt was like the character for so many people and that was the first cena match at a at a wrestlemania and um if you remember like he was so over that in the media box They had these lights for everybody that were mistakenly observed as lanterns, Bray Wyatt lanterns um, that some media people just took as mementos, but they were actually property of the stadium that were actually not Bray Wyatt lanterns.
1: I don't know about that. That that was never explicitly stated. They looked like souvenirs to me. And if any media member might have uh, mistaken, made that mistake, I, I think I would completely forgive them. Yeah, that's that's
0: fair enough on uh waiting's defense um but yeah thank that you
1: maddie was... b for the uh, super chat uh, as well or uh yes
0: all right um there's plenty more we, we we could talk about with bray wyatt we'll probably get into it tonight i encourage people we will have a feedback thread up if you want to throw in any uh questions or memories tonight we will go through those as well It'll probably be a very emotional edition of smackdown so we will be uh chatting about that then so thanks to everyone for uh, for tuning in live for this uh bonus show and we'll speak with you tonight